You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. So Psalm 4. For the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin when you are on your beds. Search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray to God as we come to consider this psalm. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for Psalm 4, and we pray that you would speak to us today so that we would be reassured of your love and your care for us. Amen. When we were kids, my brother and I used to wish upon stars. Do we have some slides happening? There we go. There we go. I'll just check that my uh, clicker is on. Okay. Let's start again. When we were kids, my brother and I used to wish upon stars. Now, I know that might sound a bit lame, but we were kids, okay? Uh, And if we were ever outside at dusk and we saw the first star for the night, we'd say this rhyme, and maybe you know it. Starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight, wish I may, wish I might, have this wish I wish tonight. And I remember once that my brother and I were out with my dad and we both saw the star at the same time. And we began to fight over who would get to say the rhyme and then make their wish. Because it's really important that the right person wishes on the right star. Now, it's funny the things we do to get what we want, to make our wishes come true, to get the help that we need. Even adults can do crazy things. We have these little tricks and games that we play. I used to have a theory that the quickest way to get to a a new place was to look up the directions in my Malway as I was driving. Now, some of you won't even know what a Malway is. So just for the younger people, uh, you can still buy them, but I doubt many people in our church own them. Before we had smartphones, we used to have a printout of the street maps in a street directory, a book you would keep in your car. That's right. And uh, if you wanted to know where to go, you'd open up the book and look at the map and follow it along. And if you got to the edge of the page, sometimes you'd turn the page, or you'd have to go to another part of the book because it continued somewhere else. I mean, it's amazing that any of us survived. It was a barbaric time, okay. Anyway, sometimes to make my trip quicker, I wouldn't look up the directions beforehand. I'd say to myself, I'll wait until I get to the next red light, and then I'll look where I need to go. And when you know it, the lights would always go green. So I'd get there quick, but it would kind of be on the seat of my pants, pretty much. 
Now, I'm not kind of saying that this is a method that you should all use to speed up your trips, but it genuinely worked for me. We all have our little habits, our techniques, our tips to make life run more smoothly. But the danger is when we look to our techniques or rituals as... Uh, sorry, we can look to these techniques or rituals as replacements for trusting in God. Because, let's face it, we might think that praying to God is not always going to work. We might think that, well, God doesn't do what we ask, so why would I bother praying? Or sometimes we forget to pray to God and we still get what we want to happen anyway, so it looks like we didn't need to pray. And we look at others around us who don't ever pray to God and they seem to be doing fine in life. In fact, this is the very challenge that King David wrote about in Psalm 4. He was faced with people who were looking elsewhere to get what they wanted in life. Rather than praying to the Lord, they were praying to false gods. And just like today, some of their alternatives seem to be working. And so Psalm 4 is a helpful reminder from David that God does in fact hear and answer the prayers of his people. Let me say that again. God hears and answers the prayers of his people. The way that David decides to address his concern is by composing a song of hope. And we know it's a song because of the title. It also has instructions on how it should be used. Have a look at that little title there. It says, For the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So this psalm was written for the director of music, a guy in Jerusalem who kind of conducted uh, the people when they were worshipping. And David wants this psalm to be accompanied by stringed instruments. Now, if we look closely you can see that David begins by addressing God. But then he speaks to other people in verse 2. Here's a diagram to show you what I'm talking about. Often in the Psalms, the audience that's being addressed can kind of swap around, can change. David speaks to God, then he speaks to humans, and then back in verse 6, he turns back to God. And that might seem a bit odd that David would write a song that speaks to different audiences. But remember, this is for public use. This psalm was meant to teach. It was meant to encourage the faithful and challenge the faithless. And the key point that David wants to teach us is that despite what people might say, God does answer the prayers of his people. And so this is a song of hope for Israel. And it's also a song of hope for us. The first thing we see in this psalm is that David relies on God for relief. Have a look at verse 1 in your Bibles. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. David is praying to God. He's calling out for help. He relies on him for relief. He knows that God is righteous and that he is David's God. In fact, God has helped him in the past, and so he's asking God to once again be gracious and kind to him. David then turns his focus from God 
to those who look elsewhere for their relief. Have a look at verse 2. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Now, some people think that David is complaining about people who are attacking him and telling lies about him. Uh, The word that's translated as false gods is actually just the word falsehood. Our version of the Bible has taken it as, in a religious sense, false things, false gods, whereas other versions, translations take it differently. Uh, They say, you know, perhaps that the, the men are telling lies about David and they're trying to undermine his authority as the king. But I actually think that the NIV translation we use at our church is actually correct. These people are effectively saying, David, why do you look to the Lord? He won't answer. Come and worship our gods. And so viewing this psalm as a battle over who to pray to is supported by verse 6. Have a look. Many are asking, who will bring us prosperity? In other words, the people of verse 2 are also asking, who should we look to for blessings and prosperity? Surely not the God of Israel. Let's look to these other gods who can do what we want. And then in verse 7, David says this to God. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. These people are looking for physical prosperity. You know, picture it, they want abundant crops of wheat and grapes to turn into grain and wine. They want to be healthy, prosperous, have everything they need. And so they decide to pray to the fertility gods of the pagan nations. They pray to Baal for good crops and lots of wine. And Baal delivers, and so they are filled with joy. Well, David responds by saying that God does in fact answer prayer, And he gives even greater joy. Let's return to verse 2. David says that these people are turning his glory into shame. Do you remember back in Psalm 3 last week where David's glory comes from? It comes from the Lord who lifts up his head. God is the source of his glory, of his honour, his reputation, his dignity. And so when David says that they're turning his glory into shame, it's as if they're really attacking God, the source of David's glory. How does David deal with this? What does he say when these people are seeking after false gods to get what they want? Well, he gives them a bunch of commands. They are to know, they are to tremble and sin, uh, and not sin. Uh, they are to search and be silent and they're to sacrifice and trust. So first off, David says that they are to know. Have a look at verse 3. Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David says to his opponents that, well, they should realise that God has set apart David. He's been set apart by God and for God. And so God will hear him when he prays. And the flip side of this is that perhaps the reason why these people don't have their prayers to God answered is perhaps they don't belong to him. Now, this is not David boasting that he's a good man and God has set him aside. You know, like the Lord was impressed by David's charity work and his care for the environment. No, faithful servants, he doesn't mean good people. It rather means God's people. 
They are those who are recipients of God's grace and mercy, those who are in a relationship with him. Back in verse 1 where David says, my righteous God, it should actually read, God of my righteousness, meaning that God is the one who makes David righteous. It's talking about God's election, that God elects to set apart people, the people that he chooses. And those who have been chosen will receive God's answer to their prayers. So David says they are to know. The next command he gives is to tremble and not sin. It's the first part of verse 4. Now, it could be that David is speaking to other faithful Israelites, like there's another audience in here. But I want us to consider that David is still addressing these idolatrous opponents. He's telling them to tremble and not sin. And the word tremble could mean to, like, cower in kind of reverent fear of God's awesomeness. But it could also be related to anger or rage. That's how Paul, the apostle, seems to take it. Uh, He quotes this verse in Ephesians 4.26. You might know the reference. Paul writes, in your anger, do not sin. And so what is this trembling? Well, we can think about what might be causing trembling in the context that David is considering. It could be David's rebuke of the wicked. It could be over the fact that God hears David's prayers and not their prayers. For whatever reason, I think these, these people are, are angry and they're trembling with rage and David commands them to not sin in the midst of their trembling. In their pursuit of lies and vanities and false gods, they are sinning against God. And so to ignore David's warning is to sin. The next command follows on from this. They are to search and be silent. Check out the second part of verse 4. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Now, searching their hearts isn't some kind of weird Jedi technique, Adam Foster, just in case that's what you're thinking. Not looking for enlightenment, you know, search your feelings, Luke. In Jewish thinking, the heart isn't just the source of emotions, it's the essence of the person. It's the core of who we are. And so David commands them to reflect deeply within themselves about the truths that he's speaking. He wants them to examine their behaviour, their attitudes, and to see that David is right and they are wrong. And in so doing, they will then be silenced. They'll have nothing left to say in attack of David and God. They will realise their error. David then tells his opponents what they should be doing instead. Check out verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. It's not saying that if they go to the tabernacle or the temple and offer up a cow to God that they will get whatever they want. So that's that pagan thinking that's getting them into trouble to begin with. It's often that the notion of sacrifice for ancient people was about you know, their, their gods. They would offer these animal sacrifices to make the gods happy and to convince the gods to do, get them to do what they wanted them to do. You had to bribe them to make your crops grow. But David says that they are to offer right or righteous sacrifices. It's about approaching God for worship, 
It's about receiving his mercy, being set apart for him and by him, and then offering up sacrifices as an expression of that relationship, as an expression of thanks. That's why David says, trust in the Lord, not trust in their own actions of being able to offer the right sort of sacrifice. These pagan opponents shouldn't trust in false gods that can't really answer them. Instead, they should trust in the God of Israel. And that means offering him the gifts, um, offering him the gifts, offering him the obedience and the loyalty that he demands of his chosen people. So, to sum up, David is saying that these men, these men who look elsewhere for relief, they need to search their hearts and approach God in the right way. David now shows us that God is the source of his hope, his joy, and his peace. In verse 1, he spoke to God. Verses 2 through to 5, he's speaking to his opponents who are attacking his faith. And then in verses 6 to 8, he speaks to God again. And first of all, he shows that God is the source of hope. Have a look at verse 6. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Can you see how this makes sense if David's opponents are seeking after pagan gods for their blessing? They're saying, who can show us any good? Is it Baal? Is it Asherah? Is it Canaan? David's answer is no, it's the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the one who will bring us prosperity. And then David prays that God will shine the light of his face upon all the people. Now, to speak of God's face is not to envision like a literal physical face as if this kind of face appears in the cloud and looks down at them. Rather, this is about God's personal presence. And with that presence comes his glory and his blessing. And so David prays, that people would know the presence of God. This is where true hope lies. And David then says that God is also the source of his joy. Have a look at verse 7. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. Again, we see the link here to pagan worship. David's opponents, they want abundant crops, so they worship false gods. And even when they get what they want and then they're filled with joy, David prays that God will give him joy. And in fact, David is confident that he'll receive greater joy than them. So his is not just the the joy of abundant wine and grain. His joy is that of knowing God, of being set apart for God. It's knowing the forgiveness of sins, the hope of heaven. It's the joy of peace with God. And so David can end by affirming that he truly does have peace. Have a look at verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. David can rest securely each evening. Not because he's invincible, not because he trusts in the power of his army. No, David knows that he has the greatest thing of all. He has peace with God. And no one can take that away from him. He can dwell in safety because he knows the maker of the universe. He has the ear of the creator and trusts that God will hear and answer his prayers. 
This is a song of hope for David and for all of Israel. But you know what? It's also a song of hope for us. David speaks of how God has set apart the faithful for himself. And today, the faithful are Christians. He has set us apart for himself and he hears our prayers. And I don't mean that Christians are faithful or godly in the sense that you know, we're perfect and we never do anything wrong. What I mean is we're the ones that God has given faith to. He's filled us with faith. He has set us apart as his own. He's given his spirit to us. He has shone his face upon us and given us the blessing of salvation. But how do you know if you personally have been set apart by God? Well, David says that those who belong to God look to him for their glory. They look to him for their righteousness. They look to him for relief from their distress. They tremble in holy reverence and fear of God. They offer right sacrifices. They trust in the Lord. These things don't save them, but they're an expression of thankfulness given to the God who has saved them. Can you see how... David challenges the idolaters to, to know, to tremble, to search, and to sacrifice. Well, that's what the faithful do. That's what Christians do. In fact, the Apostle John, he wrote about the connection between prayer and kind of a right heart attitude in his first letter. I'm going to read out from 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 to 24. And I want you to think about the, the confidence we have in asking God for things in prayer and how that's kind of connected to us trusting in Jesus and living out a life of love. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This might be a bit tricky to kind of figure out. So here we go. I'm going to try and explain this. Christians are those who trust in Jesus. They trust in Jesus for their righteousness. They trust in Jesus for their glory. They trust in Jesus for relief from distress. Jesus is the one who's done the hard work. He is the one who perfectly obeyed God. He laid down his life by dying on the cross so that we might be spared the death that we deserve. So I ask again, how can you know if you've been set apart by God? You've got to ask yourself these two questions. One, do I trust in Jesus? Two, do I obey Jesus? These are signs that you've been set apart. Again, obeying Jesus doesn't make you be set apart, but that's what the set apart people do. The sacrifices of the righteous that we are to offer are lives of thankfulness and loyalty to God. That's how we obey him. They don't earn your salvation, but they demonstrate that God has saved you and set you apart. And we do all of this by faith. By faith, we hear Jesus. 
We see Jesus, we follow Jesus, we know Jesus. And so Psalm 4 reminds us that as God-saved people who live by faith, we are to turn to that God in our prayers and we will see greater joy from him when we pray to him. So this is our, our image for this week. I wasn't able to get some artwork for you, but uh, Charlotte and I did put some Lego together. So we've got a nice picture there. That's, that's our way of representing Psalm 4. Maybe you do something different. We wanted to capture that idea of the faithful who are praying on their knees, crying out to God, and people in the background are celebrating because they've got what they want. They've got their new grain, their bread, they've got their grapes and new wine, and they're kind of saying to the Christians, praying, hey, why don't you come and join us? Why would you pray to your God? We've got everything we need over here. That works for me. Hopefully that works for you too. And so in your distress, where do you turn? You've just received some, some bad news from the doctor. You've had a massive fight with your neighbour. You've just been fired from your job. You've just been dumped by your girlfriend or dumped by your boyfriend. You've just been attacked because you're a Christian. Where do you turn? And what about when you just really desperately want something to turn out well? You're going for a job interview. You're sitting an important exam. You're applying for a home loan. You feel like you just need that extra special help today. Where do you turn? What about when you're feeling spiritually flat? You're feeling distant from God. You're doubting your faith. You're having trouble understanding the Bible. Where do you turn? When we feel attacked, when we feel down, when we feel we just need a little help, often we turn to things other than God, don't we? Some people turn to the world around them. They look for solutions in self-help books or blogs or websites. They try to rationalise their way through things, you know, when, when one door closes, another one opens. Maybe they try to distract themselves and dull the pain with pills or alcohol or other pleasures. Some people might even look to the spiritual realm. They try to meditate and empty their minds of the pain, recite mantras in the hope that the universe will understand what they want and send it their way. They might even go to church, light a candle, confess to a priest, put some money in the offering box. Maybe they even try to make a deal with God and say that if you'll just give them what they want, then they'll be really good for the next week. Maybe they'll donate some money to charity or even stop smoking. See, these things may give some success. They may produce some results. But none of them will give you the real answers that you need. So they won't give you real hope, real joy or real peace. You know, we don't tend to offer up an animal to a pagan god. We don't have little statues in our homes. But sacrificing to a false god is not that much different from buying a how-to book to solve your problems or doing good deeds to increase your karma or crossing your fingers for good luck. See, they're all about what you are doing, bribing the cosmos, manipulating the system to get your way. As verse 4 says, when you're laying in your bed, search your heart, test your motivations, and if you see sin, we'll be silent. 
be silent and then pray to God for mercy. There were times during the COVID lockdowns when I was in great distress. No surprises there. I was in conflict with people over pastoral issues or how best to do church online. And at times I was tempted to rely on less than godly means to solve matters. I'd feel this urge to send an angry email or to eat a whole block of chocolate. And sometimes I gave in to both of those. I'd feel frustrated and angry about you know, other people posting on Facebook about the wonderful lockdown activities that they were doing, you know, making bread and doing craft projects and running these amazing ministries on Zoom. I felt like others were coping better than me and it didn't seem fair. Even people who weren't Christians seemed to be flourishing. You know, they were enjoying their grain and their new wine. Now, of course, that's not how it actually was. We know that what we saw online wasn't the reality that we were experiencing. That's how it felt. And it would make me tremble. Just tremble with, with anger, but also exhaustion and bitterness. There were times when I would lay in bed for hours, in the middle of the night. These thoughts and emotions be whirling through my head. Sinful thoughts. What did I need to do? I needed to consider Psalm 4. I needed to tremble and not sin. You see, my anger was no justification. Just because you're trembling doesn't mean it's okay to send that angry email. I need to search my heart and be silent. See, I was expecting that I would be the solution to my problems. I need to trust in God and pray to him. When you're in distress, when you need help, look to God. Pray to him. When you feel distant from God, pray to him. When we seek after other things to get what we want, to have that spiritual connection, to grow in our understanding, but God promises that he will give us what we need when we pray. And so if you're struggling at the moment, if you're feeling that God has abandoned you, then maybe the first thing you need to do is to pray to him. Find a quiet place, pour out your soul to him. If if you're not sure what to say, well then read a psalm and use those words to shape your prayer. If you're already praying, well, keep praying. Want to even sit down with another Christian and ask if they'd pray with you. Turn to God in your distress, not to other things. And as we pray to God, we need to remember to seek the joy in God that's greater than abundant wealth. It's the second lesson for us from this psalm. David acknowledged that his opponents did indeed receive abundant grain and new wine and they rejoiced in it. But David's joy was greater because it was a joy from God. Now, let's be clear. Being a Christian doesn't guarantee prosperity, no matter what nonsense some pastors will tell you. We're not going to be the richest, healthiest and smartest people in the world. 
but we will be the most joyful. And it's not a joy that's about, you know, laughing and feeling happy all the time, but it's a deep-seated joy that comes from the hope we have that one day we will see God face to face and he will shine upon us. We live in hope of that day. And today, you know, we, we can see his face and know his presence in a way, but we, we do that by faith. It's also a deep-seated joy that comes from the peace we have now because of our forgiveness. We have peace with God. We don't have to justify ourselves to others. We've already been accepted by God. No matter how much of a mess we make of our lives, God has set us apart for himself. This hope, this peace gives us joy that is far, 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 far greater than any joy that we could receive in this life through material blessings. And remembering this will actually impact on the sort of prayers that we pray. God wants more for us than a comfortable life, good health and great friends. He may give us these things and we praise him when he does, but he's got much greater things in mind for us. He wants us to grow in our godliness. He wants us to live out kingdom values. He wants us to know that peace and joy that comes from trusting in Jesus. And so when you pray, pray that God would preserve you to the end that God would grow you in godliness, that he would cause you to bear the fruit of the Spirit, that he would use you as he builds his kingdom, that God would set apart more and more people for himself. Because those are the prayers that God loves to answer. You know, it's tempting at times to wish upon a star, to follow our little techniques and rituals, to try to bribe the cosmos to get what we want. But we don't need to look to these things. See, God has set us apart for himself. He's already committed himself to us, and so he answers the prayers of his people. And so let's pray to him, and let's seek the greater joy that he promises us in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 4 and these helpful yet challenging truths that you have indeed set apart your people for yourself and that you delight to hear our prayers. Please help us to pray to you, even when it looks like others around us are doing better, they seem to be doing fine without you. May we continue to trust in you and know that you have promised us far greater things. And so, Lord, as we sang earlier, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, our perfect Redeemer. May we turn from worldly idols, may we run to him and find our joy, our peace, our security, indeed our prosperity in him. Amen.